I'd like to ask you a question. Can we agree that it is difficult to see with eyes of faith? Can we agree that it is difficult to see life and the circumstances of our lives with eyes of faith? It can be very difficult in life to see what God has for us in any given situation or circumstance. Since September, as a congregation, we've been journeying through the book of Hebrews, and we've learned that each one of us are on a journey of faith. And in order to navigate this journey of faith successfully, we have to be able to see with eyes of faith. Not our physical eyes, not eyes of logic, but eyes of faith. Eyes that enable us to see what is typically unseeable. Eyes of faith that allow us to see what God may be doing in any given situation or circumstance. Now, it can be hard to have faith like that. Do you agree with me? It can be difficult. And I think one of the reasons that it is so difficult to see with eyes of faith is because everything, every circumstance, the situations in our lives change. Just when you get your eyes focused, just when you think, boy, God, I got this eyes of faith thing down and I kind of can see what you may be doing, the situation changes. Just when you think you have the circumstance figured out, you're seen with the eyes of faith, the situation changes. Everything around us is changing. We live in a world where the change is the constant. Think about all the change that we've experienced. Think about the empires and the kingdoms throughout history that have come and gone. There are empires and kingdoms that have ruled huge portions of the earth. We read in the Bible of the Egyptian empire, the Assyrian empire, the Babylonian empire, all huge, great empires. They're gone. Change. They exist no more. What about the Roman empire? For hundreds and hundreds of years, the Roman Empire ruled the great majority of the world. Gone. It no longer exists. Empires that you would have thought might, maybe were likely to last until the end of the age exist no more. Once mighty and powerful, able to make decision after decision of their choice, they're gone. Change. The change is constant, and it's not just in kingdoms and empires. It's close to home as well. It's us. It's our situations. It's our circumstances. They don't stay the same. They change. Think about, you just, just when you think your life is right where it needs to be and you think you are right there in that sweet spot, bam, change. It might be a financial burden that comes out of the blue. It might be a, a bad investment. It might be a loss of a job. It might be the change in the rate of the dollar compared to the yen. I don't know what it is, but the change comes and the money seems to melt away. Or maybe it's in a relationship that you have. Or maybe it's within your family. 
and everything seemed to be going so well. But then that argument gets in the way. Change. Or maybe it's a separation in your family. Or maybe the death of a loved one. Change in our lives. Financial, relational. How about our health? You can be going along in your health. Everything's just fine. You're doing great. You even had a doctor's appointment a week ago and he told you, man, you are good to go. And then you wake up and there's that sharp pain in your side and you know, you know down deep inside that something is drastically, drastically wrong. Change. Change is the constant. And it might not even be an illness. You might just be looking in the mirror. This morning I'm looking in the mirror and I'm shaving. And I know I'm preaching this sermon. I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, there is an example of change. <laughs> Nothing, look it. More fat, less muscles. <laughs> more gray hair, less hair. A lot less hair. And I'm thinking nothing stays the same. Lord, you can change everything else, but Lord, just please let me keep my hair. <laughs> Doesn't matter, I pray that all day. It's kind of nice to be tall because you don't know unless I sit up there and then you're looking down and you go, man, he is losing a lot of hair. It's change. It's constant. Our lives are full of change. And it's not just bad change, right? It's good change. There's good change in our lives. New job, pay raise. Maybe you bought a new house. Maybe you just got married. You had a baby. It's good stuff. There's good change happening in our life. Maybe you won the lottery. (laughs) You're not buying lottery tickets, I hope. But if you are, Grace Beyond could use some dollars. It didn't work as well in the first service, but it worked a lot better here. (laughs) Straight up though, really? Change, everything. The good changes, bad changes, our lives are full of change. Nothing seems to stay the same. And when there's so much change in our lives, the problem is it is hard to focus our eyes of faith. Because here's the thing, the negative change The negative changes in our lives typically lead us to fear, anxiety, worry, disappointment, and discouragement, right? When you you can't see and everything's changing around you negatively, your first response is, oh no, Lord, what are you doing? I am afraid. I don't know what to do. And your fear turns into discouragement because you don't think God's showing up. But it's not much better for the good change. The good change brings issues in our lives as well. Because when good change happens, we typically turn to self-reliance and self-focus and self-sufficiency and pride. So the change that surrounds us, whether negative or positive, causes us to lose focus and the ability to see with eyes of faith. So the good thing is, is God doesn't leave us alone. God points us to to that which he wants us to. To see. God points us to that, to who he wants us to see. The writer of Hebrews does not disappoint. So take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. If you're following along in the church Bible, the Bible the church provides, it's on page 976, 976. And here, nestled in the middle of a chapter 13 is a small verse. 
but it is an important and powerful verse to everything we've been learning in the book of Hebrews. It is an important verse in order to anchor our journey of faith. Now, the book of Hebrews, this letter to the Hebrews, was originally written to Jewish Christians who were facing many, many changes in their lives. These were individuals who were once Jews. They followed the law of God, the law, and now they have converted, they have become Christians, so they are now followers of Jesus. And as a result of this transition or this change in their life, they're now facing great persecution many troubling changes in their life. And it's all because of this new faith. And I can only imagine the disappointment and the discouragement that they are facing as a, res- that they are facing as a result of this change in circumstances and how hard it must have been for each of them to be able to see with the eyes of faith. So now what happens is, in Hebrews 13, the writer of Hebrews is helping them and each one of us as we run with perseverance the race marked out for us. He's giving us the practical application. Well, how do you run this race? And he's told us, he said, look, you need to be hospitable. You need to be hospitable to strangers and to prisoners because you don't know who you might be entertaining. He's also told us, wait, you need to flee from the love of money and you need to keep your marriage bed pure and you need to remember that God will never, never, never leave you or forsake you. He is always, always with each one of us. And now look at verse 8. And when you look at verse 8, keep in mind all of the changes that we have just talked about. And remember as I read verse 8, This is scripture. This is God breathed. These words are from God himself. Verse 8, the writer exhorts us to remember that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Empires and kingdoms may come and go, they may fall, but Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. All the changes in your life, they have happened, they will continue to happen, but Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Your financial situations will change. Your relationships will change. Your health will change. I promise you, all of those things are going to change. But Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ is the same. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Exactly. He is the same. Now, this truth should be very encouraging, and it should lift our spirits in the midst of all the change that we have, but let's look into why that is the case. Why should this be so encouraging? First, the first issue that the writer of Hebrews addresses, now this verse is loaded with meaning. The writer here first identifies Jesus by using his name and his title. And it is particularly interesting for this author. Throughout the book of Hebrews, the author uses the name Jesus to identify our Lord, 
And he also uses the title Christ to identify our Lord. But he does not typically put the two together. It is here for one of the few times that the writer of Hebrews puts together the two, Jesus and Christ. In this letter, he has constantly referred to our Lord as Jesus, and he has constantly referred to our Lord by the dignified title Christ. But this is only the third time in the whole book that he's put them together. Why? Because he wants to make a point. The writer of Hebrews wants to make a point. You see, Jesus is the earthly name that was given to our Lord. It's the name that he received at the incarnation. And interestingly, at the time of Jesus' birth, the name Jesus is a fairly common name. We know this because the historian Josephus records many instances of a Jesus doing something. He records like 20 instances or references to Jesus, 10 of whom are actually contemporaries of our Jesus. So we learn from Josephus that this is a common name, and it's probably a common name because it is the Greek translation of the Hebrew name Joshua. And Joshua is this big figure in Israeli history. He is this great leader among the people of Israel. So just like around here, some people name their kid George for George Washington. They, in, during the time of Jesus, would name their children Joshua or Jesus in honor of Joshua, the leader that we know of from the Old Testament. So we recognize that there is a significance to this name Jesus because of its historical context with Joshua. We also recognize a level of significance of the name because the name has a meaning that generally means the Lord provides salvation, that there is saving nature in the name and in the person who bears the name. But the point that the writer of Hebrews is trying to make, although we understand the significance of the name, I think the main point the writer of Hebrews is trying to make here, he's trying to remind us that the name of Jesus is a common name. The writer of Hebrews wants us to know that this is a common name because he wants to remind us, he wants to remind you and he wants to remind me that Jesus is one of us. Jesus is one of us. We see this the first time that Jesus is identified by the name Jesus in the book of Hebrews. When Jesus is first identified in the book of Hebrews, we see this come to bear. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Now, The writer of Hebrews has spoken of Jesus earlier than this in chapters 1 and earlier in chapter 2, but he's referred to Jesus as God's son, as the heir of all things, as the maker of the universe. The first time that he introduces him by name, he does so in in chapter 2, verse 9. And look what he writes. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, 
now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The first time that Jesus is identified in the book of Hebrews by his given name, we read how, how human he actually was. This is intentional. The writer of Hebrews wants us to know that Jesus is human. Look what it says. He's lower than the angels. He suffered death. He had temptations like us. He has emotions. He's human. And for each of us, the great encouraging thing is that because he is human, because he is one of us, he understands us and he can relate to us. Jesus gets it. Jesus gets it because he's experienced it. Jesus gets it because he is human. Jesus is one of us. The other name, or better description would be title, is Christ. He's used first the name Jesus. Now he identifies our Lord with the title Christ. You see, the name and Christ, Christ is his title or his office. Christ is translated from the Greek word Christos, and Christos is a translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. In the Old Testament, we have the speaking and the talking and the prediction of the Messiah. In the New Testament, the referent is always Jesus the Christ. The two are the exact same. The Messiah and the Christ is the one who is the anointed one. So what Christ means, the title is the anointed one, and he is anointed prophet, priest, and king. But the really interesting thing is he's not anointed an earthly prophet, priest, or king. He's much, much more than an earthly prophet, priest, or king. Turn forward now to Hebrews chapter 9. And as we look at Hebrews chapter 9, remember in your mind, the author has named or has identified our Lord as Jesus because he's human and he gets it. And now he's included the title Christ because he wants us to understand something very special about Jesus. It's not just that he is human, it is that he is divine as well. In his humanity, he gets it. He gets us. He understands. He knows our experiences. And in his deity, he can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Hebrews chapter 9. Look at beginning. Let's start in verse 12. He did not enter by means, he being Jesus Christ, did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, But he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more, then, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Now jump down to second half of verse 26. He, Christ, has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, 
So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. You see, everything that is identified in this passage everything that's identified, all of these things are things that are not able to be accomplished by a human. It requires God. It requires a deity. So the writer of Hebrews identifies our Lord not only as Jesus the human, but as Christ the divine. Not only Jesus because he understands and he gets it, but as Christ the divine, the one who can actually do something about it. Jesus Christ. So now turn back to verse, chapter 13, verse 8, because this is more than an earthly prophet, priest, or king. This is Jesus who is human and the Christ who is divine. And so now the writer of Hebrews, back in chapter 13 in verse 8, he has brilliantly combined the two, Jesus and Christ. And remember, he hasn't done this for most of the letter but now he combines the two because he wants to drive home the point to assure us of the truth that Jesus Christ is both human and he's divine. He gets us, he gets it, and he can do something about it. And that's not all that verse 8 tells us because now the writer of Hebrews goes on to tell us that not only does he get it and not only can he do something about it, He says, Jesus Christ never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Look at verse 8. Look what it says. Jesus Christ is the same. Now, I think our tendency as we look at this verse is to read it and immediately focus on the phrase yesterday and today and forever. But that's just poetic, flowery language. It's important, but it is important to put our focus on the words that the writer wants us to focus on. It's reinforcement for the idea that Jesus is the same. The focus of this verse, the essential truth of this verse is that Jesus Christ is the same. In a world that is always changing, where nothing of our earthly condition remains certain, nothing of our earthly condition is fixed or is immovable or is sure. Everything we see around us is changing, and everything that we see around us that is changing is ultimately fleeting and perishing. But Jesus Christ is the same, and he is always the same. Now, this description, the same, is very important. The writer of Hebrews doesn't just pick these two words kind of out of the blue and say, hey, I'm going to say Jesus Christ is the same. He doesn't just pull them out of his hat and say, hey, I think this would look nice here. He does it for a reason. Turn back to Psalm 102. It's on page 485. Psalm 102. In Psalm 102... We read the psalmist's description of God beginning, well, it's throughout the psalm, but let's look particularly at verse 25 and following. Psalm 102, verse 25. In the beginning, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. 
They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them, and they will be discarded. Look at this next verse, 27. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. God is the same. And throughout history, this is a title that has referred to God. In fact, medieval monks referred to the eternal God as the same. They said, would say things like, I follow the same. I am going to have my prayer time with the same. I find refuge in the same. So whenever they faced disappointments, discouragement, changes in their life, they would refer to the eternal God as the same. And now the writer of Hebrews is saying Jesus Christ is the same. This is an affirmation, again, of Jesus' deity. For the writer of Hebrews to tell us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever is to remind us that Jesus Christ is God. And because He is God, He has the same attributes as God. God is the same. Jesus Christ is the same. God doesn't change. Jesus Christ does not change. Theologians refer to this attribute as the immutability of God. The immutability of God. If you want to impress somebody tomorrow at work or at school, or if you want to confuse them, you can say, hey, I've recently been thinking about the immutability of God. How about you? The immutability of God refers to the unchanging nature and character of God. This is how the theologian Wayne Grudem defines the immutability of God. God is unchanging in his being, perfections, purposes and promises. Yet God does not does, excuse me, yet God does act and feel emotions and he acts and feels differently in response to different situations. God is unchanging in his being, perfections, purposes and promises. God does not change. God is the same. But this does raise a side question. And the question is this. If God does not change, if God is immutable, and he does not change in nature or in character, if those attributes, because all those are attributes up there, right? Sovereign, good, love, gracious, merciful, faithful, peace. If those attributes don't change... It does lead us to the question, does God change his mind? Does God ever change his mind? Well, I think there's a story in Scripture that will help us answer that question. So turn forward to the book of Jonah. If you're in Psalms, go to Jonah chapter 3. It's on page 754. Jonah chapter 3, 754. Now, you remember the story of Jonah. Jonah's a prophet of God. And God goes to Jonah and he says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach against those Ninevites and tell them how wicked they are and tell them that if they, I'm going to destroy them. I am going to come and I am going to wipe them from the face of the earth and they are going to be overthrown. Well, Jonah doesn't like this plan. Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. So instead of going in the direction of Nineveh, Jonah hops on a boat to go in the completely opposite direction. While he's on the boat and he's out at sea, God causes a great storm to come to the sea. And the crew eventually figures out that, hey, this storm that we're in is a result of this Jonah guy. 
So they decide, I'm going to throw, we're going to throw Jonah overboard. So that's what they do. They throw Jonah overboard and Jonah gets swallowed by a big fish. And he's in this fish for three days and three nights. Now, do you think if you were in a fish for three days or three nights, God would get your attention? I hope so. (laughs) He's in a fish for three days and three nights. God gets his attention. Jonah prays. He repents and he says, okay, God, I will do what you want me to do. So God causes the fish to spit Jonah out. Jonah goes to Nineveh. And we read in verse 4 what Jonah does when he's in Nineveh. Chapter 3, verse 4. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming. Now, it's a big city, so he's going into the city. He goes into the city proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, the important thing to remember is this is not Jonah's idea of a good time. This is not Jonah's plan. These are not Jonah's words. These are words that God gave to Jonah to tell the people of Nineveh. This is God's message. Forty days and you will be overthrown. Well, look at Nineveh's response, verse 6. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, the king rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, and covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. And look what God did. Verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they, the people of Nineveh, turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Does God change his mind? Yes. Yes. God changes his mind. God's nature, God's character never change. But God does change his mind because he responds differently to different situations. You see, the hearts and the minds of the people of Nineveh changed. God saw that change, and in his mercy and in his love, he responded differently to the different situation. But in his nature and in his character, he is immutable, and he does not change. So with the theologian A.W. Pink, we can proclaim the following. God is immutable in his attributes. Whatever the attributes of God were before the universe was called into existence, they are precisely the same now and will remain so forever. Necessarily so, for they are the very perfections, the essential qualities of his being, semper item, always the same as written across every one of them. His power is unabated, his wisdom undiminished, his holiness unsullied, the attributes of God can no more change than a deity can cease to be. His veracity or his truth is immutable, for his word is forever settled in heaven. God does not change. He is the same. And even though we live in a world that is ever-changing, where everything about our earthly existence moves, can be shaken, where nothing is secure, where nothing is firm, where there is no sure footing, God is the same. And the writer of Hebrews in verse 8 proclaims with encouragement to each one of us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Amen. Because he is one of us, he gets it. 
because he is God, he can do something about it. And he will never, ever change. And here is the thing for you and for me this morning. Because he will never change, it means so much for each one of us individually and for us as a congregation. This whole week, I am thinking about applications for this sermon. And what is it, God, that you want to say to me as I study and as I prepare? And what is it, God, that you want to say to Calvary Church as we gather together on Sunday morning? And there may be many applications. I know there are many applications or truths that come from the main truth that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, but I want to share five of them with you that I think I know are meaningful for me and I believe are pertinent for us as a congregation. And as I look around this group this morning, I see faces and I know stories where I know for you that these will be meaningful truths. In what ways is Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever? First, he is always the same in his love for us. He is always the same in his love for us. Jeremiah 31.3 says that he loves us with an everlasting love. He loves you with an everlasting love, which means no matter how much you have messed up, no matter how much I have messed up, no matter how much you have sinned, no matter how much I have sinned, he loves you with an everlasting love. And because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, that everlasting love is the same yesterday and today and forever. It is always true that Jesus loves you with an everlasting love because Jesus Christ is the same. Second, it is always true that Jesus Christ's truth is the same. Now, it might be better to say that it's always the same. It's always true that his teachings are the same. But here is the thing. What the apostles spoke of in the word of God 2,000 years ago is the same today. There are not evolving truths that have happened over the last 2,000 years. There are not changes to the truth that God proclaimed 2,000 years ago. His truth is always the same. There is not was not a gospel for the first century, a different gospel for the Middle Ages, a different gospel for the Reformation, and a gospel to, for today. Jesus Christ is always the same in his truth. Jesus Christ is always the same in his teaching. Jesus Christ is the same. Jesus Christ, thirdly, is always the same in his presence. Jesus Christ is always the same in his presence. What is the last thing that Jesus Christ said to his disciples and to us when he left? He said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. 
Jesus promises that he will always be with you. No matter what the changes are that are happening in your life, if you are experiencing financial difficulty, if you are in the midst of a health crisis, if a loved one, if somebody so close to you has recently died, or maybe last year they died, and you feel alone, and you feel like you are the only one left, and there is nobody for you, Jesus Christ promises, and he says, I will be with you even to the end of the age. I will never, ever, ever leave you for or forsake you. Jesus Christ is the same. Fourth, Jesus Christ is the same in his willingness to receive all who come to him. Listen to that one. Jesus Christ is the same in his willingness to receive all who come to him. I know the journey of faith is long. I know there are changes. I've experienced them myself. Over the last two weeks, I have had change after change after change. I thought I was seen with the eyes of faith. I thought things were going in a certain direction, but it changes. But Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. If you've experienced changes in your life and and you don't know where to turn, Jesus says, turn to me. I will never reject you. I will never turn you away. I want you to come to me with your burdens. I want to bear your burdens. Jesus is always the same in his willingness to receive all who come to him. And that also means that if you're here this morning and you feel separated from God for something that you have done, for sin in your life, it means all you have to do is open up your heart and turn to him and he will receive you. Jesus is always the same in his love for us. Jesus is always the same in his truth. Jesus is always the same in his presence. He's always the same in his willingness to accept those who come to him. And finally, Jesus is always the same in his power to save. Jesus is always the same in his power to save. So many times I think that I have things under control and I can make things happen. And then I learn that I have nothing under control and I can't make anything happen. And I know you know what I'm talking about. Jesus has all the power to save. Think of Mary Magdalene. She's full of demons, and Jesus removes the demons and gives her life. Jesus goes to a wedding, and he turns water into wine to save the wedding celebration. Jesus goes to a side of a hill, and there's not enough food for people. So he says, hey, bring me those five loaves and those two pieces of fish so that I can multiply them and create a great feast. Jesus forgives the weeping sinner. Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house, to the house of the head tax collector, the greatest of sinners, and he says, today salvation has come to this house. Jesus, in his last moments on earth, is on a cross, and he turns to the person next to him, and he says, today you will be with me in paradise, because Jesus has the power to save. He is always always the same in his power to save. And I know 
Looking around here, I know, and I know we as a body, collectively as Calvary Church, we see the changes, and we're not sure what God is doing, and we're not sure of the situation or the circumstance. I know in your lives individually, I know there are changes that have happened in the last week, in the last month, in the last year, and you're trying to look, and you're trying to focus with eyes of faith, but it is just not clear. Well, here's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. He says, focus your eyes on Jesus Christ because he is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus never, ever changes. And we always have him. See, that's it. We focus on things. We focus on buildings. We focus on money that came in. And by the way, $13 million is a heck of a lot of money. That's a great thing. God is doing something. But here's the thing. We need to focus on Jesus Christ because everything around us can change. But Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning for bringing us to this place because this morning you wanted each one of us here. Lord, thank you. Thank you of your for your love for us. Thank you that you have the power, that you are not only human so you get it and you understand, but you are the Christ, you are deity, and you can do something about it. Lord, I pray that in our confusion, in the changes that are in our circumstances, in our situations, Lord, that each one of us would focus, not in our own power, but in the power that you give us through the Holy Spirit, each one of us would focus on your Son, Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.